Hello, you found Rebirth, a podcast about women saving lives by living their own. I'm the creator, Kate Britton, and I have been fascinated with people's stories since I was very little, both as a writer and a practitioner. Hearing other stories offers us a perspective on our own. We are unique and we are not alone. Today we have a magic in the mundane episode. This is going to be a two-parter. This episode is about it's a hodgepodge, okay? I'm excited about it. There's a lot of texts that are sourced and I'm going to link those in the podcast. Basically, I'm going to walk you through an invitation to break your addiction to doubt. I want you to break your addiction to doubt, okay? We need you to break your addiction to doubt. So we're going to talk about visualization, the neurology about doubt, this amazing study about our perception and right angles and how it might relate to where you live and how you grew up. I'm so excited that you are here. If you enjoy Rebirth, help support our stories by liking and subscribing wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. Share with a friend or hop onto our Anchor homepage, easily found at katebrenton.com. If you're looking to step out of line and into the spiral of life, moving out of the expected and into your true brilliance of infinite potential, reach out at katebrenton.com. Thanks for listening. Hi family, how's it going? Thanks for tuning in. Today we're going to talk about the addiction to doubt and some ideas on how to help you break that. Okay, I was listening to this um, podcast about spirituality and science and they were talking about how fear is addictive. And there is a Dr. Donna Marks that talks about fear creates chemical release in the brain that masks the void underneath it, right? And so some people get so ignited by the sensation of the fear that they become addicted and don't even realize it. So they become addicted. You're like, why would I want to be afraid? And it's like, well, listen, there's a reason I don't buy a lot of chocolate ice cream. I would eat it. (laughs) I don't know if I would be addicted to it, but like I have to I have to set myself up to make good choices so that when I make um, an indulgent choice, it's it's measured and really fun, right? Like that's just a really simple one. So on the Spirituality and Science um, podcast, they were talking about how when you start getting into manifesting and even talking about like the quantum field and this idea that we are, which, you know... You know what I remember being told in school is that we only use 10% of our brains. And I was like, why would we only use 10% of our brains? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And um, maybe that's because I went to Catholic school that we were, like, taught a strong sense of divinity while um, endeavoring into the sciences. I don't know. But I remember being like, why would we only use 10% of our brain? Like, what kind of, like, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, anyway. This on this podcast, the Spirituality and Science podcast, they were talking about how if you want to get, you know, more aligned, you have to disrupt your thoughts and that we're thinking all the time and that actually science has proven that we're visual learners, right? We think we we think in visuals and the example they gave, which um, was the same example that was given in Deconstructionist literary theory when I was in undergrad college was that, uh, you know, deconstructing that you can never really like uh, that you create a story, but the reader will always impose themselves on the story was the idea behind um, the deconstructionist literary theory. 
So the example is the same from the podcast and what I remembered from undergrad about how if I say dog to you, you might envision, you know, your dog or a particular dog. I would envision a dog. We would both have a commonality um, to understand the definition of dog, but the picture that our brain tossed up would be different based on our circumstance, which is interesting when you think about things that are perhaps more charged, like rich or loving or supported, right? Like we might have different visuals of those words as well. So what they were talking about in the podcast, that was the spirituality and science podcast, was that like, that's why you want to feed yourself visions. And that is why you want to kind of tune your emotions because you're running, you're running all day long, constantly. You're thinking all, you know, all day long. You're not just thinking when you're thinking about it, you're going to have subconscious tapes playing. And that's why you want to take the time. Yes, it's good to have a meditation practice, but I completely agree with these, what these men were saying as well, that like you want to feed the thought of alignment throughout the day as best you can to increase the chances of magnetizing that new tonality, right? If that was like, feeling good, feeling rich, feeling healthy, you know, that kind of stuff. Okay. So in the podcast, they also say, you know, oh, if you're hearing all this and you're thinking, well, like, how am I supposed to uh, maintain my thought process all day long when most of it's like subconscious? And by the way, I have to like live work, you know, and all the other responsibilities or enjoyments you have as a human being. So he gave a great tool, which was like, you need to interrupt the thought. Like if you're, say you're like jamming along into your day and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, and the downward spiral of emotion happens or the frustration, you know, whatever, whatever's not an alignment emotion for you. He said, you could say, well, what would my thought be if I did feel happy? Or what would my thought be if I did love my life? And I thought about my friend Martina's book, What If, which is like such a great book because it's this great companion and it's easy to read and accessible. So I like to keep books around that um, you can return to and books, I call them books that I can read when I'm too tired to read, right? Like books that it's not that they're not good. It's that they're easy for me to access because I often can be reading books that have um, a lot of difficulty to access and I can't read them at night, right? Okay, so one of the tricks to keeping your mindset aligned is that to have something that's an easy access, um, supportive content that you can read even when you don't have a lot of time to focus. And I felt like her book, What If, was like such a helpful, playful, accessible, curiosity stoking book because your curiosity interrupts the neural patterning to say like, oh, you want something new? So if we go back to that example of dog and I say dog and you go, oh yeah, like that little white terrier. I'm like, no, something bigger. And you're like St. Bernard. I'm like, okay, fine. Like your brain will automatically throw up another example. The brain is constantly sitting to complete the loop of thought, right? So I'm finding that like super, totally fascinating about the what if, because if we don't interrupt that cycle, and we allow ourselves to get confined, we know neurologically that then if we are in an agitated state or a fearful state, that the brain is wired to keep us safe and protect us from outside influences that may actually be opportunities 
that w- that you have decided are things you cannot tolerate, cannot see, cannot entertain because they are threatening to your safety. And you're like, why would I think that? Let's go back to fear creates a chemical released in the body that masks the void. Some people get so ignited by the sensation of fear, they become addicted to it. So let's just come back to the chemical reaction of fear is an addiction. It can become an addiction to your brain. Cycle interrupted gives a chance for that to be altered. Now, okay, so I don't know how this is going to conceptualize in a podcast, but this idea of being boxed in by your thought has also been proven. (laughs) Okay, so in this book I'm reading called Hunt, Gather, Parent, um by uh, Micheline Dosleff. I'm so sorry. I really have never been good with names. Ask any of my high school students or community college students. I was really bad. And I taught in like a lot of different places and they butchered everyone's name. I know there's no excuse for it. I'm owning it. Okay. So in the book, she talks about this study that was done. And what they did is like, okay, imagine a line that has two arrowheads on either end of it. Like, so it's like, Arrow going to the left, arrow going to the, to, to the right, and it's just one line. And then imagine a line underneath it, and I'll have to link an image, I guess. It's like the arrows are inverted. So if you were to draw it, so like instead of the top image is the arrows pointing, now those two lines that would make arrows are, um, instead of making an arrow, they are like flipped up, Okay. Let's just say it's a two-line test with the ends of the two lines having the opposite orientation point might be the most efficient way to say this to you on a podcast. Okay, so they asked people, um, you know, what line was uh, shorter or longer and overwhelmingly, I have to say, honestly, I looked at it and I was like, well, they have to be the same. And my mine was because situationally I'm reading a book and if they're asking me about psychology, then there has to be something going on. Um, overwhelmingly in the study when it was originally done, and by the way, this study was originally done myopically on only one culture, Western, um, the people picked the one where the lines were inverted because optically it looked like the furthest line in a box, which I had to go back to look to envision that I didn't see a box. So I will find a way to link this to you if you're curious. Oh, you know what I'll do? I'll take a picture and put it on my website and I'll, I'll put it on the blog post website if you're like really fascinated by this. Okay. So then after the study was initially done, let me just turn the page to make sure I get the right year for you. Um, in the 1950s and sixties, they took this Mueller liar illusion, which was the two lines and went to 14 different cultures, including fishermen in Nigeria, foragers in the Kalahari Desert, and hunters and gatherers in rural Australia. And they all tested, they also tested the illusion on South Africans of European descent, as well as adults and kids. And the experiment was simple. And what they found was that the Americans were quite susceptible to the illusion. But when the researchers looked at the results from other cultures, things got interesting. In some indigenous cultures, 
such as hunters and gatherers in southern Africa and farmers in the Ivory Coast, people weren't duped by the illusion at all. They saw the two lines, yes, I am quoting, they saw the two lines that they were actually drawn as equal length. In all other cultures, people's susceptibility to the illusion fell between the two extremes. Okay, this is the thing. Okay, this is so good. Okay, the researchers hypothesize that the illusions tricked Americans most effectively because we live among quote, carpented environments, end quote, or right angles. That is, we're surrounded by boxes. Everywhere we look, there they are. We live in boxes, houses, sleep on boxes, bed, cook on boxes, stove, commute in boxes, trains or cars, and fill our homes with boxes, chests of drawers, desks, etc. So, the what they then said is that many cultures around the world, the people aren't surrounded by boxes. Rather, they're surrounded by curved, smooth shapes. Homes and buildings often don't like designs. And, and they're made of more pliable materials. And they said, which I always found fascinating, that um, they also move through nature. Lots and lots of nature. Trees, plants, animals, and terrain. And nature isn't so into right angles. Nature loves curves. Okay. I mentioned on Instagram in reference to this podcast that that line about the right angle. So, so what they're literally saying is, my friend, that because we live in constructed artificial reality where everything is lined up for us on sidewalks and right angles, our neurological perception has been altered. It makes sense. Now, let me tell you this. When I was an English major and I was interning at IBM and I was all like knee deep in like, um, like deconstructionist literature and, and um, Afro-Ben and, and gender studies before gender studies was even a thing, which at the time, by the way, gender studies actually meant studying women authors and the women's perspective and women philosophers and um, like like why Jane Austen, like what, like this theory that her books actually ended at one point and then she tacked on an ending chapter because no heroine could be going off on her own. And that's why there was always like a marriage at the end that tied everything up so that her books got published. And just this whole concept that there was like another world and you'd have to know the subtle nuance to be able to hear it. So I was all interested in that in college and I had a liberal arts degree. And so I just, I literally, my job was just to read, think, and talk about what I read and thought, which was super, I mean, hi, I have a podcast. That was like my super jam. It hasn't changed. And I was all into this idea of like different cultures and thoughts and theories and expansion. And then I get this internship at IBM, which I completely loved. And I was like, I remember people would come up to my little desk that I had like this one, I had a little plant and I had um, a picture of like all my college friends almost because, you know, college is what you do, right? Your little college family. And people would come over to my desk and they would look up this picture. They would be like, oh, I was in college. And then they would like go off on this tangent and tell me how they were like studied history or they were going to do like um, elementary education. And they would like tell me all these dead dreams. And then they were like, look at me like they would look at me and they say, but, you know, I needed real money. So I came here and I was like, oh, my God, this is where dreams come to die, because everyone's coming to my desk and telling me um, that they had this moment in time where they were anticipating into their dreams and then they just 
basically didn't. Now, listen, corporate doesn't have to be like that for everybody. I think that was my personal experience. And you know what? Corporate didn't kill the dreams. Stopping believing in the dreams killed the dreams, right? I know plenty of people that work in corporate and use that opportunity to really make fantastic advantageousness in their life. But during that internship was when I saw the faith popcorn quote, which is basically repeated in the book I just read to you, but they don't cite faith popcorn. And I don't know if she's the first one that said it, but that she said, the problem with society is that we wake up in a box, drive to work in a box, work in a, in a box, drive home in a box. And that our whole thought is in the box. And then what are we told? Think outside the box <laughs> and stop daydreaming. <laughs> and it's like, well, wait a minute, stop daydreaming. Um, didn't Einstein say that imagination is more important than knowledge and for knowledge is limited to all we know and understand while imagination embraces the entire world and all that there ever will be to know and understand. Let me say that again. Knowledge is limited to all we now know and understand. Imagination embraces the entire world, maybe the quantum field, and all there ever will be to know and understand. What? Here's the other crazy thing that I thought of when I read that quote about lines and stuff. I was living in Hawaii at the time and a man by the name of Sam Byrne, who's phenomenal. I should actually tag him too. He's a great resource. So I've been in glasses since I was six. And he is an ophthalmologist that really embraced, I, I, don't, I don't know the correct way to describe him and give him credit. It, let me just say my personal experience. He embraces that the eyes are a soulful interaction with ourself and the world and that to understand the limitations of vision are truly a holistic endeavor and a dive into how we perceive the world. And um, I took a, I helped him when he came and did a presentation and he used, um, I learned of him because of a mutual friend and because he used um, the essential oils that I love that I think are by far better than almost anything out there, wisdom of the earth. And he had essential oil protocols medicinally, no, not to put in your eye, but to put on acupressure points on your face and to call forth and harmonize um, stuck energy, emotional trauma, perception. And then for helping him, I mean, I'm doing a limited thing right now. I'm just kind of giving you another thing. But I remember when he gave the talk in Hawaii and he asked a question and everyone was like, really on board, you know, like they answered him really fully and there was like a great participation. And he said, I forgot I'm in the Hawaiian islands. I'm not in the constraints of the city where when people leave their homes and their business, there's no horizon and their vision is locked at their feet. Where here, there is such an open horizon. Your eyes are constantly embracing and looking I don't think he said looking forward, but really was connotating that there is like a full embrace of the present moment. And I never forgot that because I know that feeling of walking in a city and the enlivenment of the city. But I also know that constraint when you leave the city, the walls of a city. Interestingly enough, 
he connected me being in glasses at six to my parents' divorce and not wanting to see it and did a whole thing with me speaking the truth from one eye to the other, the masculine and the feminine perception of eyes, my eyes. I know this is crazy. I wasn't planning on telling you guys this, but you know, what's really coming forward right now is to share all the resources and tools to help us break out of that boxed in thinking. Um, you know, I'm still in glasses. I didn't need him. I wasn't working with him because I felt attached to losing my glasses. I felt intrigued because I was someone that has been in glasses for so for so much of my life, right? Like I started at six and he gave me such an insight into our perception and, and how that, what feels safe and that it's really common for children of divorce to have glasses because they don't want to see what's going on. Isn't that fascinating? Get out of that box thinking. What if we let ourselves change our reality? What if we leaned into the imagination that things can be different? What if we had the courage to use resources to release in our body our addiction to our doubt? I recently heard the strongest emotion that the body responds to is enthusiasm. And so if you, when you surround yourself in beauty, you're surrounding yourself in the visualization of nature of unprecedented beauty for no reason, right? Why are flowers just so gorgeous? Just because they are. Just because they are. So I, I wanted to share with you this idea of all these, all these invitations to sit with, what does this body need? Is she feeling anxious or scared? How can I break my conditioning, my addiction, that there's only one way, that I don't know what I'm doing, that things will never change, that I am scared all the time. How can we look at emotions that we don't, I was going to say we don't want to have, because that's just the truth of how we feel. So, but we know that when we push them away, we intensify them. So we're like, how do we break our dependency on things that don't make us feel good so that we can start to bring an alkalinity to our emotional state? so that we can start to enjoy, so that we can break our addiction to doubt, so that we can get out of that boxed thinking, right? It's not the job, it's not the city, it's, it's choosing not to be present, right? Because, because it's not like you have to move or change your job. Like, of course, that's disclaimers there, right? It's like, it's like breaking the addiction. Expanding your mind enough, getting out into nature that you are not easily duped by an optical illusion, trying to prove who you are. And by the way, the study was trying to put you in the box to begin with, right? They created a study to prove how to box the brain. So, when, you know, when I used to teach high school, I was always asking the kids about what, what is the point? Why are they trying to do that to you? And they would be like, Miss Brenton, like, do you like this content? Like, why are you always showing us what's wrong with it? I'm like, I'm not showing you what's wrong with it. I'm teaching you to question everything. Because listen, as a high school English teacher, right? Like, what can I do with that precious moment with other people's children? I can equip them with confidence and the empowerment of questioning everything so they may make sovereign choices. Yeah, that's what I used my time teaching at Cheltenham High School to do. And show a lot of really cool videos. But that's another story for another podcast. So, yeah, just um, imagination. 
well, I'm going to, I'm going to pause here and, and, and I'm going to leave you with this and we're going to come back next week and talk more about imagination and visualization. So you have, uh, you know, if you want to pop into my classroom, you have your homework for the week. Can you use the what if interrupter? Can you, um, let yourself be curious, forget fixing, forget how, forget that suspend into the creative, lean into the imaginative. Remember, maybe there's a reason they told me not to daydream. I mean, not the people closest to you. They were telling you that so that you, they, they wanted you to feel safe and secure and, and, and have a life that would afford you the comfort to be safe and secure and have everything that you need. But let's go further out. It's like, oh, right. If all, you know what? I recently, I'm going to leave it here for you. I was like, you know, trying to take my own medicine and um, put together like a little vision board. And I, they, I have this saying now on my altar that I clipped out of a magazine. And the saying is this, where it all comes together and it hangs on my altar. It doesn't come together from somebody else. It doesn't cover, come together from a mandate. It doesn't come together from your boss. It comes together in the altar of your heart. So let us clean and dust and caretake that altar. Let us put a pause in our neurology when we're like, <gasps> whatever that thought is for you, because you know that breath. Think, what if it was different? What if I was willing to see it differently? What thoughts would I be thinking if it all worked out? What thoughts would I be thinking if it was all going to be okay? What thoughts if, would I be thinking if I allowed myself to trust myself? Have a great week. See you back here next week. Thank you for listening to Rebirth. Oh, I wanted to ask you, did you sign up for our newsletter? If not, hop on over to capebreton.com. We send bi-monthly newsletter to keep you smiling and we offer goodies to the community. See you back here next week for a new episode of Rebirth.